Welcome to the EverSaline podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics, and reducing costs. The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited. Catalyst Consulting exists to help people and organisations work better today and be ready for tomorrow. They have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility, lean, Six Sigma, strategy deployment, agile and change management. They can help you and your organisation to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently. To find out more, check out catalystconsulting.co.uk. Today, we're talking lean with Anil Matthew, who is the former group director of continuous improvement at the National Health Service and current CEO and director at the Lean Enabled Group. Anil has been at the forefront of developing a continuous improvement culture within the NHS, building a staff improvement capability that empowers problem solving and shows delivery. Anil's incredible work in this field has led him to win a HSJ award, the most esteemed accolade of healthcare service excellence in the UK, and a visit from former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and former Secretary of State for Health Jeremy Hunt. Anil will take us inside the fascinating work that has taken place and the critical contributions that lean techniques have made to that. Thanks for joining us, Anil. Thanks very much, Matt. Oh, it's amazing to have you. I came across your profile on LinkedIn, saw some of the amazing stuff that you've done, and I thought, wow, Anil, you are the man. You are a man to talk to. It's exciting, really, because I've having been in industry for such a long time across a number of different industry sectors, I've been very fortunate enough to bring those experiences, those real life experiences and uh, and capability builds and learnings and experience and bring that into different sectors and more recently within the NHS, which has been hugely successful. How did you come into the world of Lean? The world of Lean. So um, I would go back really uh, when I started at uh, uh, university. So I did uh, engineering back at University of Salford, University of Liverpool, a bachelor's and a master's. The interest in engineering, my dad spent uh, 25, 30 years as an engineer working for Ford Motor Company. So it ran in the family in many ways. I had this sort of passion in terms of wanting to see and drive improvements, drive efficiencies, make things better. I guess that was perhaps the motto I had way, way back sort of in my late teenage life, I guess. Yes, it's always been in you then. Yeah, it has, Matt. It has, Matt. And it's been sort of exciting in the fact that when you learn the sort of theory at university and then you start your career working your first role in industry and you're learning the trade and I think that's what's helped me you know my first role at Carnot Metal Box in Nottingham a company that was making aerosol cans for Gillette Procter and Gamble and it's steeped in history very very traditional company but it was it had improvement at the heart of the whole organization so I was able to learn the trade with some fantastic uh, line managers and a team that taught me 
educated me, built my capability up in the lean tools and applications on a production line. You make a really good point there. I think that the study of lean is is really important and it's really important that we have the, the literature and, and we read the text and understand it, but you don't really learn how to do lean until you actually apply it, do you? That's where the real skill set comes in. It is, it is. And I think certainly one of the learnings, if I look back, is certainly the experience when I, back at university, in fact, when I was at the Liverpool University, I was fortunate to, uh, the masters had a six month placement in industry, and that was with ICI chemicals and polymers. Uh, so it was my first exposure, I guess, as a student, learning, putting theory into practice, but learning for the very first time how you can start to use those tools in a very structured, methodical way to make a difference. Because ultimately everything, and in, in my world, the only currency is on delivery, showing value, showing out. And if you can do that, then the methods that you have employed is perhaps the right methods that you have employed to show an output, to show a delivery. And I, th- I think that's really important. Yeah, I do agree with you. When, when I first started Lean, what I really liked about it was the structure of, you know, you, you had a problem, this is a tool that you can use to help you understand the root cause of that problem, and then this is how you follow through the process to fix the problem and then measure the results afterwards. And that structure, for me, really fits nicely. And I think that's something that, that lean and continuous improvement as a whole brings to people. Yeah, and I would completely echo that, Matt, because I guess over the years, if I look back, it's only when you apply structured methods using the the demake the define the measure the analyze the improve the control the a3 methodology that you follow a very scientific structured methodical approach to make change i've seen and more so in the nhs they're very quick to here's a problem i already know the answer they jump to solution and there is a big education piece that we bring in we teach we educate we encourage all those great thoughts and ideas i.e jump to solution just hold fire for the moment let's follow the rigor let's follow the structure and let's see what outcomes and what results come through if we follow a very structured process. And more often than not, well, actually, I would say 99 times out of 100, jumping to solution was perhaps the wrong solution to jump, if you like, because that's not what they discovered following the the, the structured rigor of lean principles. But we all do it, though, don't we? It's human nature. We, we see a problem. We're like, that's the solution. We, we just jump to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the beauty of applying the structured methods is that it's very much facts and data driven. It's less emotion. And we say, right, if, if you can back your, your what you're jumping to solution with facts and data, then let's talk. Let's understand your thought processes. But if you can't back that up with data or facts, then it's an opinion. So it perhaps doesn't hold as much weight at all. Yeah. Um, and over the years, over the training, we've started to educate staff to help them think and act and behave differently. And they themselves have said, actually, this has been really powerful. Before I would have jumped to solution. Now I would almost take a breath, step back and just follow the methods. And one of the things, Matt, that's so, so common, and I see this all the time, is they're jumping to a solution. And if you ask, and, and it's always me at the back of the room, I'll put my hand up and say, what's the problem we're trying to solve? And in a meeting room of 10 or 15 people, and it might be three months into a project, more often than not, they're not fully aligned or can agree 
on what's the problem they are here to solve. And that almost takes them a step back to think, well, actually, well, you have a view of a problem. The person next to you has a completely different view of the problem. So there lies already a challenge. Not everybody around the table perhaps fully understand either one, why they're there at the meeting, and two, what's the problem we are here to solve? Because we all have a different view of the problem, but we're talking solutions now. So that's really, really dangerous position to be in. And I always ask those questions. It's a respectful question, but it's to really help put a program, a project back on track, put some of the real key fundamentals in place so that we collectively work towards success and a desired and expected outcome yeah and it is very common like you say it's everything every single lean activity i've ever done with a group of folk has always had that kind of thing going on at the beginning where you've had to try and pull people back a little bit when i when i first started my lean journey my lean sensei said a saying to me that's always rung in my mind and, and you've just brought it back to me with what you just said he said to me that um a person without data is just another person with an opinion. And it's so true, isn't it? It's so true. It is absolutely so true. And and when we run lots of our Kaizen continuous improvement workshops, we bring some of the core guiding principles to, to, to the workshops. And we make that point very clear. It's absolutely, it's data driven. We Every improvement that we make, we identify at the outset, well, what metrics, what KPIs do we think we're going to change or affect? And as we start to work and make those changes, are we seeing the needle change in the right direction? And that becomes our evidence that we're doing the right things in the right systematic way, using the tools to guide us. If we take a step back in your career then, so 25 years operational experience across multiple different industry sectors. Now, one of the things that um, listeners might be wondering around Lean is, well, is it applicable to the industry that I work in? You know, I I work in in pharmaceutical or I work in uh, manufacturing or I work in a bakery. Is Lean applicable everywhere or is it just certain industries that it works in? With 25 years experience, and I've worked from um, aerosol containers, manufacturing, to Tate and Lyle Sugars, refinery, to Gillette, Procter & Gamble, producing blades and razors, to GlaxoSmithKline, not just the the, um, pharmaceutical drugs, uh, but also manufacture of toothpaste and sensodyne and mouthwash to, to now within the NHS, you can use lean in every single industry setting in every single business process, bar none, even the coffee shop down the road as well, Matt, you can apply the lean principles too. So you can truly apply this everywhere without doubt, without question. And people do it without even realising they're doing it. You know, if you step into, into your kitchen right now and then you go to make a cup of coffee, Nine times out of ten, I bet you your coffee is in the cupboard right by the kettle, along with the cups are right. You don't have them on the other side of the kitchen and walk backwards and forwards, do you? And that's lean. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the classic games we play, or just in terms of understanding process mapping, is making a cup of tea. So we invite a group to say, well, what's the order in which you make the cup of tea? And always split them into groups. And what you'll find is the variation in how an individual makes a cup of tea. And the principle is about showing variation and what steps within making a cup of tea could you take out by way of waste? So things such as, oh, the coffee and the sugar or the tea and the water, the kettle, they're all in different locations around the kitchen. And you sort of think, well, actually, if I'm looking to reduce waste and motion and and travel, then why not bring all the 
components to one single location. So there's less walking, less waste, less time, less motion. You know, there's lots of some of the simple basic principles. And if you follow a structured process, do you achieve the same, let's say, high quality cup of tea or coffee, whatever you are drinking, at the same standard every single time. And that's how I think, well, you know, we talk of variation is the enemy. Yeah. I absolutely completely agree. Variation is the enemy. How do you look to standardize a process in, in a sort of the most repeatable way and have different, if we call it operators or staff, following the same standards day in, day out? That's always a challenge, of course. But how do we do that? What's the uh, the, the methods and the principles we can adopt? Uh, and, and, and for me, it's not just the individual and teams, but leadership plays a very critical part in helping to sustain that change. So if we look back over over your 25 years in, in the uh, lean industry, then where what would be your, your big highlights that uh, you would call out Big highlights, a um, couple of ones that instantly come to mind. I think my period at sort of, uh, say, Tate and Low Sugars, you know, we talk of how can you improve if you don't measure? One of the classic quotes you hear, Deming, classic, classic. Uh, so one of the first things when I joined Tate and Low 1998, I think, what showing my age here, right? <laughs> there was no true measures on the production line. So one of the first things I did at the Tate and Low factory in, in Silvertown, uh, East London, was to implement line efficiency. So OEE, overall equipment effectiveness. And it's a line efficiency measure of how you are, how efficiently you are manufacturing a product in the time that you have to manufacture. So if it's an eight hour shift, how effective are you manufacturing the product by way of high quality performance within the time that you have? So I implemented the the measure and the OE measure. I'm sure you all know the availability time, performance, What's the rating of the production line? What's the, when, when it was installed, what's the number of units that can be manufactured per hour? Or how close are we to that? And then quality. So what's coming off the sort of production line, you know, close to 100% high quality. Those three components multiplied together gives you your OEE. And I rolled that out across the whole of the London refinery. And, and that measure was then adopted at a global level. So that was one of my first successes around, before we can start looking at improvements, let's get some of the core principles and fundamentals in place and implement OEE and measure how we are performing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and then target resources based on underperforming areas. Uh, This was fully, fully adopted, uh, embraced by uh, the site leadership team. And they said, yeah, we want this as the global measure. Uh, across the whole Tate and Lyle group. So that was early years success, I think I would describe it, Matt. And then I then moved on to Gillette, fabulous company, completely uh, believed in improvements, had a culture of improvement. And again, driving OEEs into production processes that it's very much an aged production line and process. Uh, it's the blades and razors uh, business producing disposable razors, over 1 billion units a year. So high volume, 24-7 operation, 
driving efficiency, driving waste. So again, fantastic time to be there, learning new processes, applying again, lean principles, removing waste, reducing variation, using technology, upskilling staff in problem solving. We always say that staff that are closest to the process can see the problems firsthand. And if you equip them with the right tools, the right training, the right education, they can solve those problems firsthand. And that's one of the key things I thought and learned within Gillette. And then it brought me on to GSK, uh, where I was the Global Director of Performance and Operational Excellence, helping to build capability with what we call the Tier 1 critical and strategic suppliers into GSK at a global level. So I had a global team, and this was where we would send our coaches, if you like, uh, improvement coaches, out into the regions and go and support and build the capability of our tier one strategic and critical suppliers into GSK. And we implemented monthly scorecards so that they can show performance on quality, safety, delivery, you know, on time in full. And based on how they were performing, we would then offer support, offer coaching so that they could drive internal improvements. That's brilliant. It's inspiring. It really is. One thing I would like to ask you about is when doing these projects, when going into these companies and and trying to embed lean, it's never plain sailing. There's always challenges. And sometimes this comes from the people. There can be some resistance. It can be resistance from uh, frontline operators. It can be resistance from leadership. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, we don't work in a world or an an, an organization where everybody the moment you come in with they're embracing lean and i i would go back to one of my early days in the nhs and uh, as the as the group director of continuous improvement and you know within the first three four months you know for me understanding the sort of internal processes understanding where the challenges were and I was stopped in the corridor by a nurse and she recognized me in terms of, yeah, you're, you're now heading up a, the internal improvement team. And you could sense one of, oh, it's a very expensive team. It's, a, it's, you know, why do you need a central team? Why don't we invest in, in staffing? And I said, well, look, actually, look, the whole idea, the whole essence of what we're trying to do is to look at reducing waste, improving efficiencies that you, your staff, your colleagues will feel and see the benefits, but we would need to help and work with you. And within the first sort of six months, Matt, one of the big programs I was involved with, and it was a, it was flagged up by CQC as um, a, a problem, which was patients, ward fit, what we call ward fit patients within intensive care unit were not being discharged at the right pace that was required to free capacity within intensive care unit. And and that is actually a national problem. And the chief exec at the time called me in and said, you know, we've heard and seen all these wonderful Kaizen workshops you spoke about when we interviewed you. Could you think about doing something similar? So I went back in later that day and I put a a one week's program together to look at how we can uh, understand that end-to-end processes within intensive care unit, understand where the uh, challenges were, but actually invite staff in. Inviting staff in when you say, look, we are here to solve a problem and they all are fully aware of the problem and the improvement methods that I'm going to bring with me are going to help this. But but this is not Anil and the team coming in with their capes, if you like, and with the magic wand. We're going to bring our toolkit is the improvement tools. We need the right staffing to understand the end-to-end processes, but we also need leadership to come and sponsor this. 
So when you've got those three components together, the management infrastructure, staff in terms of mindset and behaviours, and the right improvement method, you're now setting up for success. We went through the programme, uh, we went through this workshop, we, we mapped the end-to-end pathway, we identified where the waste steps were, we actually identified three problems within the whole end-to-end pathway around discharging patients. We cracked it, we identified it, we solved it. It resulted in achieving way beyond the targets that were set. And Matt, the only trust in the UK to solve this, what is a wicked problem, it's a problem in every single hospital up and down the country. We're the only trust to solve it using lean problem solving methodologies. And then to go back to your question, how do you face the resistance? When you show delivery, there's no debate. Yeah. The same person came to me a week later, she shook my hand and just said, what you've done, what your team has done, incredible. Can you come to my services? I work in the diabetes service. We've got lots of problems that need your help to solve. And I said, well, I'll bring the toolkit, but I need staff that I'm going to help train, educate, build their capability so that they can solve those problems in a structured, sustainable way. This is not about having an improvement team parachute in and solve the problem and come back. It's about how do you build the capability up at a hospital-wide level so that the whole culture is embedded. In theory, you don't need an improvement team because you've educated and built the capability that's sustained. That's the absolutely the ultimate goal, of course. It, you know, it's, it's decades away before we ever get to that point, but we're on that step. There's that journey that we're embarked on. 13-time single prize winner, Dr. Jeffrey Liker and Toyota Kata author, Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive, compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere? Listening to some consultant. When you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves. Skip the rest and go with the best. Join us today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey. It's an incredible story. I love those people that are sometimes quite negative at the beginning Uh, they don't quite trust what you're trying to do they're very apprehensive and then you take them through the process and then I love it that a bit at the end when they come to you and they're like well actually yeah it worked that was really good they're the best aren't they yeah it works (laughs) it works and even better than that at the start of this workshop we had and I won't name names it was a consultant anaesthetist and we do a sort of uh, an introduction as to name which area do you work and how long you've been within the organization and and we're all going around and you're hello I'm a consultant anaesthetist I've been with the hospital 25 years and and it came to me and I said look I'm new I've been with the organization just a few months and you could hear a few sort of laughter in the room and there was like and there was someone at the back said so what value can you bring and I said well the value that I can bring first of all I don't know anything about the process flow within intensive care or any of the back office operations or what comes in you know the patients are coming into the wards into the ICU never seen that process but what I'm going to do is 
be that person that's going to put that put the hand up at the back of the room and ask so can you please explain why you do that process just explain that's what i'm going to do yeah yeah you need to have that person just going back onto that consultant anesthetist he when i explained this is what we're going to do for the next sort of 5 days he said no 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 <laughs> no no we've done all this before Right. We've done all this before. And one of your earlier points, Matt, about there's resistance. We've done all this before. I already know. I'm, I already have the answers. And I asked the question. So what's what is the answers? Oh, we need three more staff. OK. All right. And I just said to this, hold that thought. We're going to go through very structured methodology following A3, following the DMAIC, find, measure, analyze, improve control. When we reach the end of the week, we will have hopefully identified some of the key issues. And I said to this, can we please have a discussion at the end of the week? So he was said, OK, let's do that. It was almost like wanting to prove me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> OK. Let's let's go with it, and and we've done lots of data gathering, and it was a, a fabulous, well orchestrated program. This Kaizen workshop, lots of data. We had leadership support, buy-in, engagement at the start. We had the right team involved. We reached the end of the week. We identified a handful of really key issues that was broken within the process. And for this consultant, it was he just said he was nodding his head, thinking, "Oh my goodness, I didn't know that that was where." some of the issues lay. But when you map the process end to end, you see the full picture for the first time. And for the first time, the staff are thinking, goodness me, I can now see everything. I can see the role that they play, even if it's a small part of that whole end to end, the critical role in which they play. And if they don't do that in a robust way, they can see the knock on effect further down. And this consultant said, he's very vocal. Everybody knows it. He said, I'm, this was brilliant. This was fantastic. This was the best improvement event he has been to. You brought the right processes to the right people. And we collectively solved that problem. And I quoted that map. <laughs> I quoted that example. And everyone said around the trust, if you can convince this consultant, very sceptical, very vocal, and we quoted that in an internal newsletter, they all said, we've clearly got a working program, a working process. You brought the right tools. And for us, it was the lean tools. And you've demonstrated delivery. Done. Done. And the phone didn't stop ringing. Yeah, I bet. The emails kept coming in with, can you help us here? Can you help us there? And then we had calls from other hospitals with, we've heard about the flow in intensive care. Tell us more. Tell us more. Teach us. You know, and I was, it was fantastic. And that's when you started to build, for me, build this network at a national level. And I was invited to lots of conferences to talk and speak and just the general, look, 25 years in industry, bringing some of the fantastic, powerful improvement tools, using it, adapting it, showing value and delivery in the NHS. And when you can show value and delivery, there's no discussion mm. other than it's, we want to hear more. You just need that win, don't you? You do. You get that one win yeah. that, that solves something that people have been concerned yeah. with for, for a long yeah. time and bang, it's there. It's there. And, and the ICU work itself, was an absolute game changer. But I have belief in if you've got, again, I go back to the right leadership, the right staff that want change, and you bring 
the improvement methodology, if you've got those three components, and you often refer that as McKinsey three bubble, but the principles in place, you can solve almost anything. And the role of leadership plays an important part, not just, you know, it, it's it's visible leadership. They have to be there. They have to come to the front line. They have to be there to support, to coach. And this is not about bringing the stick. That's not the approach I ever take. It's about being able to unblock issues that they see that the staff are sharing with them, but they take an action and say, right, let me take that action as a leader. I will help to unblock that. And once you've got that system in place, the improvement wheel is continuously turning and we're solving problems and we're reaching the desired outcome. Fantastic. You're inspiring me, Anil. I fancy popping down to my local hospital and having a little go. And, 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 <laughs> and again, how we're expanding what we're doing. And um, there's nothing more rewarding, by the way, in applying lean in the hospitals because this is now patience this is people this is not yeah it's real organized. it's real it's not dare i say historically profit-driven organization and i know yeah we know what pharmaceuticals and gillettes of this world and sugar companies where i worked and automotive and aerospace yes but they're profit-driven organization too but hospitals this is about people this is about making improvements that it's people's lives and you're trying to use the methods and tools that you have to your, your disposal to help and improve processes that are genuinely broken and you know you can help if you've got the right conditions in place. So staying in the NHS world for now, you mentioned to me off air before that you worked a CI within the COVID vaccination program. And I think that's that is just incredible. It blows my mind. I'd love to hear some more about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so when um, COVID hit and then the, certainly the vaccination program started a couple of years ago now, actually almost two years ago to the day the vaccination program started. I was already working within the improvement team at Guy St. Thomas's and um, I was called in and said, look, we're going to now set up a vaccination program. And, and for me, what's key to that, whilst everything is happening so quick, it was like, we now need to get going. There's hundreds of thousands of people that need to be vaccinated almost immediately. And how do we set up a vaccination program service from from get go, if you like? And for me, it's important not to sort of rush around and you can rush around. It's just to take a take a breath, take a step back and think, OK, from everything I've learned over sort of 25 odd years, what's key to getting this right? And because if you get it right at the start, you will feel the benefits, not just in the short term, but also in the long term, Matt. So for me, what was key is putting some of the, I call it the improvement fundamentals in place. Okay, so things such as making data visible, making KPIs visible to all staff, putting what we call daily improvement huddles in place. So at the start of each day, 15 minutes, inviting staff that work in the area. What are some of the issues that you have seen in where in, in the area that you work? You can help to, first of all, raise, write a ticket, and then we'll prioritise. We were getting hundreds of tickets come up and prioritising and say, OK, let's solve. Th every day, we're going to aim to solve three of the prioritised tickets. And we got into that rhythm. So we started to put some of the basics in place. You know, when you start to then start to solve problems, because what that's doing, it's now gaining in terms of you, you can now vaccinate a few more today because we've now solved a problem I had yesterday. So, Matt, we moved from what was when we started vaccinated 250 patients 
And when we started to make all those improvements and yes, some technology changes and mapping the end-to-end pathway, improving flow, improve, gauging feedback from patients, you know, what was their experience like? You've got some quantitative data, you've got qualitative data, you make those changes. We then pretty much quickly accelerated to almost 1,250 vaccinations a day. So from 250 to 1,250 over the same time period. And it was truly remarkable in terms of flow through the process. It was as pure as you could possibly get. And, and we, was, we did get lots of visitors. We had the XPM Boris come for his vaccination and come and see the service. He was blown away by some of the core principles of improvement that we had in place. We had visits from uh, lots of other MPs, lots of NHS England senior execs, senior leaders to come and see and experience this. And they were just saying, look, this is fantastic. How can you scale up? How can you now share some of the core principles at a wider level? And, 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 and quickly, we uh, were invited to attend these national vaccination webinars. So for where you can share collaborate best practices and we got invited many times to talk and share some of the key learnings one included another classic improvement tool fmea failure modes effects analysis this is about how we reduce risk in the processes this is now another proactive method not the problem has happened what can we do no how about could we have identified that risk in the first place and if we could can we put in some solutions to mitigate that from ever happening at all, which we did. And data showed some fantastic evidence that we had prevented problems from happening. And we actually had a shortlist from the HSJ award uh, recently for that program of wow. work. So, so yeah, it's been truly remarkable. Yeah, truly remarkable. Lots of visitors from around NHS Trust to come and see and experience our improvements embedded within vaccination service. It was truly remarkable. And a lot of it is about how you upskill staff with the training, the uh, problem solving, the PDSAs, the A3s, and giving them the tools to solve problems. And you coach them. Mm -hmm. So we then act as coaches to staff who are working on improvements. And we did this fantastic um, uh, celebration event almost one year into the programme where 20, 25 staff each presented their A3s in terms of what's the problem, what tools did they use, what did they change, what was the delivery. So they each, having done the training, showed a project and showed impact, and they presented it to some of the senior execs at Guy St. Thomas's who were truly blown away by, wow, they've never seen anything like that ever. So it was really a remarkable programme of work within the vaccination service. I know I said it before, but it's just so real. You know, it's not like, you know, you're not moving a package from A to B and you're not servicing a car. This is people's lives and it's directly impacting. It's, it's amazing. I remember seeing Boris on the news having his vaccination and I can picture it now. Was that at the hospital where you'd done this? At Guy St. Thomas's, absolutely. Wow. Yes, he did. Yeah. Did you speak to him? Well, he's got a big entourage around him, and uh, <laughs> it was more he spoke to the sort of to the crowd, if you like, and uh, really thanked the what the fantastic staff, uh, the clinical operational staff for making this happen. I mean, your point about for me, yeah, you're right. It doesn't matter what comes off the production line, Matt. 
you know what, whether it's sugar or razors or cars or pharmaceutical drugs or patients, if you put some of the core improvement fundamentals in place, the lean principles, you can pretty much almost guarantee a optimized process, a repeatable process, a safe, high quality, efficient process prod and product that leads, whether it's the hospital building or production line, it doesn't matter. You're applying the same core principles. And that thing, that's for me, is a key learning that I saw. And I, and I was actually fortunate. I spent a couple of weeks in uh, Toyota in Japan, yeah, walking around uh, the Toyota city, going around the factories, seeing lean in its most purest form. And Matt, I tell you what, I was absolutely blown away by all of the improvements that I was seeing from staff that are on the front line. It was just truly mind-blowing. It is. And that takes it to an absolute different level. And, and you could say, but yeah, but that's the car industry. It doesn't matter what industry they're in. It's just how you think. It's the culture. It's the culture. It's the culture. If you apply that same school of thought in the area in which you work, whether it's in the back office, at the front line, in the hospital, it doesn't matter. You apply that thought process, you can make your process run much more efficiently at half the time you perhaps do it without realising it. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, yeah. I always say when I, when I talk to people in the street and they say, oh, what, what do you do for a living? I say, oh, I, I work in continuous improvement and lean. And they always look at me a bit puzzled. And then I always give the example, do you watch the Formula One? And they go, oh, yeah, I watch the Formula One. And I say, well, look at the pit stop. They change all four tyres. They stop the vehicle, change the tyres and move them out in two and a half seconds. Look at the layout. Everyone knows what they're doing. It's super efficient. That's lean in its purest form, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It is. When you've got sort of clear roles and responsibility, when you've got sort of um, alignment to, you know, everyone all everyone knows what their objective is, what's the goal. You've got decision making using facts and data. You can imagine the standard work and documented processes that are in place. You can imagine also the teamwork and problem solving. So not just the physical act of the tire change. What changes, what technology changes do you think has happened almost in the classroom or in the workshop to get to a point of now, how can we do this in mm -hmm. a, 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 even a quicker time than we did last week? Always about continuous improvement. They never rest on if the tire changes, what, just over one second? Do they accept that's fine? Yeah. Never. No. They will no. look at... What's that next incremental gain? And, that, and that's the level they operate at. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing of continuous improvement in whatever industry sector. It's how do you make the processes better today relative to yesterday? I like to celebrate success. I think it's really important that we celebrate when we achieve some great results. And, and part of building the lean culture and the continuous improvement culture is recognising people for what they've done. And I touched on it on your introduction and you spoke about it just now a little bit, but the HSJ Award. So the, the HSJ Awards, for those of you that don't know, are awards that provide a platform for sharing best practice, improving patient outcomes and innovating drivers for a better service. And most importantly, providing a well-deserved thanks to the sector for what they've done. Tell us a little bit about the award that, that you won. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, so when I joined the NHS, we looked at the, the training that was on offer for staff and we felt it was in all fairness suboptimal and not at the right level at all and we looked at it we completely redesigned the 
the training for staff and, and embedded the lean methodologies, not bringing necessarily the direct translations within uh, pharmaceutical or the Gillette fast-moving consumer goods. We adapted it for the NHS. So we converted the lean training that had NHS speed. The uptake from that, Matt, was remarkable and the feedback with, and we moved away, sorry, we moved away from simply training staff, handing them a certificate and let's get the next 30 in the classroom. Because for me, what's the return on investment? What's the delivery? I go back to what if the commodity for me is delivery. If you can't show delivery, well, it doesn't, something doesn't quite work for me here. You know, that's not right. That's wrong. Yeah. That's wrong at all levels. So the whole idea here was you bring a problem to solve, you, we train you, you deliver and make change and use the improvement tools that you've been taught and show a benefit. And we started to convert that to bring a problem, train, solve the problem, show the benefit. And that was the sort of almost that cycle. OK, and we must have trained, I would go as far as to say, almost a thousand staff who then went through over a three year period. The training, the delivery showed remarkable uh, impact in terms of what they delivered, what they learned. And then, yeah, it was shortlisted for HSJ award and we won the award for education and training a couple of years ago. And it was remarkable. And it's testimony not to the improvement team or myself. This was to the trust, to the organisation, because staff fully embraced it. They could use it, make a difference, show value, and use the same methods and tools for the next problem that they can solve. And that's, that's for me, is important. That's You leave a legacy that way. And, and, and that was just fantastic. And again, you, you get calls from other trusts and say, oh, could you share the training? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is not, you know, it's not IP. There's no copyright. You want the training? Let me send you the training. And in fact, what happened in reality, Matt, we had improvement teams from other NHS trusts. I'll call out Kingston who are doing some amazing work at the moment. They brought staff into our trust. We trained up their staff. They have now taken the, the methods, the training, and used that to build an in-house training program, which has been fantastically successful. So they always credit us, but I say, well, look, we've put you on the first rung of the ladder. You've now taken it to a different level yourself. So the credit really lies with yourself. But we stay in contact and we see some fantastic work that they're doing. So, yeah, and, and that's our, our mindset. You know, that's how we think collaborating and sharing. And it's one NHS. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's one NHS. And if we can't share and collaborate at the most cost-effective way, then what are we doing? Why are we doing it a different way? But I think as as you're moving to the different trusts, you're you're kind of showing that that culture is growing and that that culture is getting stronger, which is exactly what you're trying to achieve. So it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and when you can bring then case studies and say, well, okay, you've taught the theory. Can you give me an example of where you've used it? We have got so many examples. And that starts to bring credibility in what we do and what we deliver. And I think as a team, we're quite unique in that we have, and I mean this, some of the best improvement professionals delivering improvement training into the NHS. I will make that statement bar none. I'll, I'll have a challenge with anyone if they want to go toe to toe with me on that. <laughs> the best improvement training uh, team delivering into the NHS. And we've got some fantastic people, lots of experience. And that's how now what we've done, we've started to now as a training provider launch, in fact, this year, the apprenticeship training. So the training is free. Okay, the training is free because hospitals and organisations, they pay into what we call a levy. So that levy is like anybody that wants to do any apprenticeship training, 
they can just tap into the levy, which is already ring-fenced and, 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 and already has funds within it. So we're now delivering what we call a technician, practitioner, specialist leadership, or to you and me, yellow belt, green belt, black belt, master black belt level training and coaching for staff, for NHS staff. We'll start our third course uh, uh, next year. Almost 100 staff are on board and they are absolutely loving wow. it because it's a combination of teaching, learning, doing, bringing some practical examples, us sharing some case studies. So we're, we're making it sort of bringing the context to what we're doing. And the, and the case studies is what we, our team, have directly been involved with. There's no greater credibility in what we do, in my opinion. It's, it's exciting right now. It, it is exciting. And I think, you know, if you're listening to this now thinking, you know, I've listened to Anil, this sounds amazing, I want to get started. There has never been a better time to get out there with the people in your organisation and have a go at this. It doesn't have to be complicated. Just some basic lean principles just google it and there's loads that comes up there's some really good books out there that make it simple for you it's just a great way of working and i think watching people come through and 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 do the apprenticeship programs like you're describing now anil and and inspiring them to go on and, and be lean leaders themselves is just rewarding in itself isn't it it's amazing it is it is and again it's not like all the training i said at the start this is about bringing a problem to solve so not just training for training's sake they will be bringing problems with them yeah. use the training that they were going to embark on one they get a formal qualification it upskills them it gives them the change management skills the lean skills the leadership skills show delivery and then we celebrate we host a graduation ceremony inviting senior execs to celebrate because it's a real celebration and an opportunity for these staff members to share yeah. reflect what they've done to senior members in the organization alongside their line managers what's not to like how could you possibly not think that's almost the perfect in its purest form improvement um, brand within well i guess any organization even more so the nhs absolutely here here well thank you Anil. Um, i could talk to you all day about this stuff this is just inspiring me um but we do need to stop because of we are going to go on forever otherwise if you'd like to know more about the fantastic work that Anil has spoken about today or learn some more about the apprenticeships program that he discussed, you can find out more at lean-enabled.co.uk. So some key takeaways from today's fascinating conversation with Anil. I think Lean and CI can be used absolutely anywhere. So whatever industry, whatever role you perform, whatever process you do, whatever you make, you can use Lean to improve the way that you work, drive out waste, drive out defects and improve productivity. It's all there. Another one I think that I picked up from today's conversation is invest in people. You know, lean and a culture of lean and continuous improvement is so dependable upon the people. The people who know how to fix the problems are the people on the shop floor doing the roles themselves. They know the problems and they've probably got the solution in their brain somewhere. So invest in the people. Learn by doing, make it real. Don't just keep it in a classroom. Get out there, have a go, use the tools, see how they work. Show results, super important. That's how you get your credibility. And Neil touched on it a few times today. That credibility piece is super, super important. And then probably the best part of all of this is celebrate success. Don't hide it. When you do something, when you achieve a result, make sure everybody knows about it, celebrate it, praise people, build that confidence. 
and you can drive lean in your business. That brings us to an end of this episode of the Ever Celine podcast. Thanks to Anil Matthew for joining us today and providing a fascinating insight into the wonderful and valuable work that has taken place with the NHS using lean to create a continuous improvement culture. If you like the sound of today's show and you would like to hear more, please subscribe and follow the Ever Celine podcast at everceline.com where you'll also find episodes that you may have missed. If you're on the social, search for the Ever Celine podcast and let us know your lean efforts. We would love to hear all about them. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget, Ever Celine, you know it makes sense. The Ever Celine podcast is researched, produced and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit everceline.com to find out more. Ever